Amen. Good morning. We're glad you're here today. We're halfway through the summer and excited that things are going so well. Yesterday, we had a great time in our church lead morning. It was the end of church lead for this year, and we start back in September. Some of you are not familiar with what we do in church lead. It's our way here at Boca Community Church to disciple each other. The way it works is that there are things we can't do on Sunday morning. There are things that we can't even do in our small groups that we want to teach and to learn and to be a part of how it helps us to grow and to serve and to have unity in our fellowship. And so we meet together in small groups, groups of four or five or six, one hour a month within these groups and do a different subject every month. And everybody's doing that same subject. We watch a video, spend about 40 minutes talking and discussing and praying. And we'd like you to be involved in that. It starts back in September again, and we would love for you to be a part. So when we start announcing it in August, think about it. You go, well, I'm new to the church, or I'm not as involved as I could be. This is a great opportunity to learn more about our church, but more than that, to learn more about our Lord Jesus Christ and being a disciple of his. So we're glad you to be a part of that. Today, we're back in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer and prayer. And yesterday, One of the topics we talked about was prayer. The two main topics were spiritual gifts and prayer. And Elizabeth led us in that prayer talk, and I asked her if she would just open our discussion on the Lord's Prayer with a few comments about prayer itself in general. So, Elizabeth. Good morning, church. Many years ago, I learned from Dr. Larry Crabb that solving the problem is never the point Finding God always is. And prayer is not about solving our problems. Prayer is, in a nutshell, finding God. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 to 14, in a paraphrase, teaches us that prayer is seeking after him. It's searching for God. It's finding him. And searching for him with our whole heart. Tim Keller describes prayer in this way. Prayer is awe, intimacy, and struggle, yet the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering than prayer. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. Where do we begin? For those of us who who struggle, who find it hard. I imagine just about everybody in this room, myself included, finds it hard to pray. We make time for lots of things. Making time for prayer is sometimes hard. So the first place to start would be to ask the Lord to give you a desire and a longing to pray. Pray that simple prayer. Ask him to give you a hunger to pray. He will answer that prayer, I promise you. And then I would encourage all of us to practice some silence and some solitude in order for us to pray, in order to hear God's voice speaking to us. We are a people addicted to noise, and we must break that habit. And if you want a rich and meaningful prayer life, We must have some silence and solitude, and you must make an effort because everything is working against us there. 
We can pray any place, anytime, anywhere. We can pray with our eyes closed or our eyes open, with our hands stretched to heaven or our hands by our side or folded in our lap. We can pray on our face, on our knees, on our feet. The idea is pray anytime, any place, anywhere. Sometimes we don't know what to pray, and so we make our prayers very short. But God left us the Old and New Testament, and every, just about every one of those verses can be a prompt to pray. It is almost a template that God left in our hands and now on our phones. But as we read the scripture, we can take those verses, take one verse, and use it as a prompt to know what to pray and how to pray. Let me give you an example. From Jeremiah 29, 12 to 14, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I'm in my family room, and I've just read that scripture. And I pray to the Lord, Father, thank you that I can call on you. Thank you that you are a God who tells me to come. Thank you that you are a God who hears and answers prayer. You tell me if I seek you, I will find you. I want to do that, Lord, but I need help. So often I seek other things more than you. Would you give me a heart to seek after you? Would you give all of our children a heart to seek after you? Would you help my husband and our staff and our congregation to be people who seek after you? Forgive us, Lord, when we haven't done that. Help us to be obedient. Amen. We can take just about any verse in the Bible and use it as a prompt to prayer. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, a familiar passage, teaches us, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Our prayer life should reflect this humility, where we stop for a little being focused on our needs and our problems, and we take up the interests of others and cry out to God on their behalf. It takes some humility to stop thinking of ourselves so very much. Verse 7 of that passage says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. And prayer, if it's anything, it's an emptying of ourselves of ourselves. It is a focus on God, so we stop for a while being so focused and consumed with ourselves. Prayer is perhaps the best way you can serve anybody in your life. The best way you can value and honor and love is to pray for somebody. Let's keep praying for one another. We were in Israel a few years ago, and Cameron Free taught us a lesson on prayer that I've never forgotten. We were high up in a mountain, a craggy part with just boulders and gravel. And the um, Israeli guide taught us that this was more than likely one of the places 
where Jesus, when it says he left and went into the wilderness, this was one of those places. It's right above where the Sermon on the Mount that we're in in Matthew 5 and 7 was recorded. That's where Jesus did his sermon. And right above that is this rocky, craggy place. And we're standing there and the wind is blowing against us. And Cameron taught us to use an acronym for pray as a reminder of what to do when we pray. P is praise. R is repent. A is ask, and Y is yield. Praise is worship and adoration mixed in with a little thanksgiving. R is repent, confession. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive us. A is ask. It's seeking, it's knocking. Never be afraid to ask. He doesn't have a little portion that he has to dole out to us. Our Father in heaven is limitless. Ask, he tells us, persist, persevere. And then the last one, the why, is yield. No matter what I ask, I'm going to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And imitate Christ there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Billy's going to continue, of course, but I want to close with this. Some of us think that Our words are not sufficient in prayer, and we feel inadequate at times and not sharp enough in how to use our words. I want to remind you that as a mom, I love to hear our children's voice. When they were infants and they were cooing, I love to hear their voice. When they were toddlers and they were babbling, I love to hear their voice. When they were in elementary school and chattering 90 to the dozen, I love to hear their voice. As teenagers, as they would be talking constantly, I love to hear their voice. Now they're all grown up, and I still think that their voice is one of the most favorite sounds I could ever possibly hear in a day. Your Heavenly Father loves to hear your voice. Let him hear it. Let him hear your heart. Thank you. Amen. Before you go, thank you. So three le- four letters, P-R-A-Y. What does P mean? Praise. Praise. Yes. And what is R? Repent. Repent. A? Ask. Ask. And Y? Yield. Yield. Say it one more time together. Praise. Praise. Repent. Ask. Yield. Thank you. And as we go into the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer, we're going to see all four of those in just a minute. So thank you, Liz, for bringing our attention to prayer. We've done something uh, new this last week. You might have noticed that last week we brought Bibles back into in front of you. Okay, we took them out two years ago. They are back. And they are consistent with, we before we had different Bibles because over the time and, you know, so you were reading a different version than you and you up there. They're all the same. You can use them anytime. They're on every other pew. If you do not own a Bible, take this one. 
if you own a Bible and didn't bring it, use it and put it back. Will you do that? They'll spray them afterwards or whatever, and everything will be fine. Again, they're your gift if you don't own a Bible. But if you do own a Bible and didn't bring it, you're welcome to use it. Use your own Bible, use your apps, use your phone, whatever you want to use. And I think we're on page, just so you know, 761. So if you're going to use this Bible, it's the English Standard Version, the same one I use. So sometimes it was a struggle last time because we had New International Version. We had, we had all kinds of versions because we would buy them over a period of time. So they're all the same. You're welcome to use it. So we're in chapter 6 of Matthew. We're going to start in verse 9 and do the Lord's Prayer. I want to do a little introduction to the Lord's Prayer because it's one of the most familiar few verses in the Bible all faiths within Christianity use it. They call it different things. I call it the Lord's Prayer. You might have called it the Our Father. It doesn't matter what we call it. But I'd like to give a couple of introductory thoughts about it. First of all, he opens up with Our Father. Elizabeth quoted it. I've quoted it. You've quoted it many times, Our Father. We need to realize that this is very new in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, when you saw the prayers, most of the prayers started with one of two words. One was the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord. That word in Hebrew is Yahweh. Yahweh in English is Jehovah. In Hebrew, they don't use J, they use Y. So like Joseph is Yosef, Josie is Yosi things like that. So Jehovah is Yahweh. They take the vowels out, and so it kind of compresses. But when you hear the word Yahweh, it's the word uh, word Jehovah in English, and it's the word Lord, all caps. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the Jehovah. Uh, Aaron's prayer, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. That's Jehovah Yahweh. The meaning of Jehovah Yahweh is the ultimate God, the supreme God, the sovereign one, the provident one, the creator of all the world, the almighty God. Way up here, this is Jehovah God. And when they would ask, they were asking the creator to do something. Lord, do something. The Lord is my shepherd. But there's also another name in the Old Testament used. Um, Think of um, one of the Psalms, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you, O God, right? Not O Lord, but O God, G-O-D, capital G, small O, small D. That is the word El, E-L, or Elohim, depending on the derivative, El. You see this even in modern context. Um, What's the airline that uh, the Israeli airline called? El Al, that's Hebrew for God, and that's Arabic for God. Al is Arabic for God. El is Hebrew for God. El Al, God, God. And so I don't know why they named it that, but it is. But I guess it was to be inclusive in Arabic and in Hebrew. But that word is throughout the Old Testament, the word God. Devout Jews, even to this day, do not write that name down. They revere it so much that they will put G-D in English. They will not write it. The the devout ones, different groups, not all Jews are that way, but many are. They just will not write it. They have such a respect 
for that word, God. There's a third word in the Old Testament that is used sometimes and is used in more modern Israel prayers, and that's the word Adonai. Adonai means master. And as you see these words, Jehovah, God, Adonai, it's God getting a little closer to us. But then all of a sudden, in the opening prayer of the New Testament, Jesus, how how he teaches us, and we'll talk about it in a minute, he says, he doesn't say our Lord, our God, our master, doesn't use the word Jehovah, Elohim, or Adonai, he uses the word Abba. Now, Abba is the Aramaic word. The the Hebrew word was Ab, A-B. So I'm not sure if he said Ab or Abba. But it's even interesting. Nowadays, when you go to Israel and you're in a park or you're in the market and there's a lot of families everywhere, you'll hear children speak to their fathers and say Abba. I'm like, wow. And because when I hear Abba, I think of God. But Abba means daddy. Do you see the intimacy coming here? This prayer is so intimate. It's not a distant God we're praying to. It's not just the almighty God we're praying to. It's not even just our master we're praying to, but it's our father. And we need to understand as we listen and hear this prayer, and I'll give application to this prayer, this prayer starts our father. A second thing about this prayer is that we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's really, that's a misnamed thing. That's just a title. It's not in the Bible. It's really the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer, I think, is in John chapter 17 when I spoke about it earlier in Easter time when the Lord really gave a prayer. This is the prayer he's giving to the disciples, and I think he's giving to us. So this is not the Lord his prayer. This is the Lord teaching the disciples and through the disciples us how to pray. This is what Elizabeth was talking about. So when we see this prayer and we talk about this prayer, this is really not Jesus's way to pray. This is Jesus telling us how to pray. So you can use this. This is really, I would rather it be called the disciples prayer, but it has been for 2,100 years called the Lord's prayer. So I'm not going to be able to change that move. It's also a prayer about the two kingdoms. Remember, we've been talking about the two kingdoms, and if you've been online with us, we're glad you're here today or here in person. We've done a lot of talking uh, in this sermon over the last few months, of the Sermon on the Mount, I should speak of, not my sermon, but over the last few months, that it's a two kingdoms talk. And that is, we live in the kingdom of earth, we live in the kingdom of heaven. This prayer covers both. Sometimes people only pray these heavenly, way up there prayers. And sometimes people only pray about the earth and the things on the earth. This prayer tells us they are connected and they need to stay connected. We'll get to it, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'll talk about that connection that comes. This prayer is for people like you and me who live in both kingdoms. When someone is becoming a believer and prays a believer's prayer, they don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer because they're only in one kingdom, right? They're only on the earthly kingdom. They need to pray to God for salvation, to pray in belief, to pray for uh, 
Jesus being their savior. That is a different kind of prayer than this. This is a prayer that believers should pray because it is a two-kingdom prayer. There are prayers that non-believers should pray. I think the most important one is, I believe in you, Lord. Be my savior. That prayer, the prayer of belief, the prayer of salvation, the sinner's prayer, whatever you want to call it, this is not that prayer. This is a prayer for believers who are still here on earth. This is not a prayer for the angels. This is not a prayer for the deceased. This is a prayer for us as we live here today. One other thing. Many of you in your childhood had to pray as a penalty, right? You sinned, whether it was corporately in your religious school or religious upbringing. You did bad. Go, let's pray. Some of you had to write out your prayers. Some of you had to pray the Our Fathers or the Hail Marys and pray because you were bad, right? And you confessed your badness, and then you went and prayed. Prayer is not a penalty. It's a privilege. If you pray because of a penalty, you're missing it. Now, we need to pray to repent That is, there's some penalty there. Yes, that's the R, repenting. But don't think of prayer as a penalty. God's forcing me to pray because I've been bad or I'm short-falling or any other words you want to use. I read the Bible to be uplifted. I pray to get me out of the pit. No, you can pray to get out of the pit, and there's some prayers in the Bible to get out of the pit, like Psalm chapter 40, which is the classic getting out of the pit prayer. But please understand that these foxhole prayers as um, real as they are, are not the most important prayers. It is the daily praying and communing with God that you do on an everyday basis and using this as a guideline. And then finally in the introduction, our Father in heaven. This is interesting. Our God, the God you and I serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is here but he's also there. This is hard to understand. Most people think of God being there. The Muslims, God is there. Other people, God is there. He's out there somewhere. And then there are others who think that there's only the God in me. Um, the Hindus, the Buddhists, etc., think there's only the God in me. And they miss, both of those miss the whole point. Our Father, he is here. He is imminent. He is with us who aren't in heaven, he is also there, but he transcended. Big word, just means to come across. God came across to come to us, and he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why his name is called Emmanuel, God with man, God with us. It's interesting, I said the word L is God. Emmanuel is just simply M, in, man, people, L, God in man and God. It's just a beautiful thing. Even the name describes it. And this prayer tells us that that God is here. Can I tell you, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is in this room today through the Holy Spirit. It is unbelievable to realize that, but yet he's in Zimbabwe today. In their church services, we, Elizabeth and I were listening to some uh, people who had been blessed in the church in Zimbabwe yesterday or over the last week, and they sent us a video about it, friends of ours, and God's there through the Spirit, God's here through the Spirit. It's an amazing thing. 
So yes, he is. And this is a beautiful thing to realize. Satan is not. Satan is not omnipresent. So if Satan is in this room today, he is nowhere else. Now the demons are, because they're all over the place, there's so many, but a demon can only be in one place and not the other. We seem to attribute these godly attributes to a lot of people, a lot of things, a lot of spirits, but please understand, it's only God who can do this kind of stuff. And so that's why we pray to him. And so let's do it. Let's look at it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now it's interesting, the first two verses of the prayer, and the verses weren't there, so I'm just doing it to identify it. Really, kind of the first three or four statements that are there all talk in the your. Now, I'm not an English teacher, so I can't tell you if that's second person, third person, fifth person, whatever. The English teachers can tell you, but it's your. The last three verses talk about us. So there's a your and an us. There's a God and there is a me attached to this. This prayer is very much about God. This prayer is very much about me, the speaker of the prayer. And I think he says these words as we start in verse 9, pray then like this. He doesn't say always pray this prayer. He says when you pray, pray like this then, or pray then like this. In other words, the words... You don't have to repeat the words. The repeating of the words are not magical. And I think that's where we've missed it in a lot of um, Christian faiths over the years. They think there are magical words you can pray, certain words that you pray. They're magical, and other words are not. And these are the magical words. Can I just tell you, these words are not magical. These words are important, and these words are a guideline for you and for me. And let's look at the, the guideline here. First of all, there's this, if I can use the word invocation, there's this big statement made here, like this overarching statement, which goes to the praise of the P that Elizabeth just said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, hallowed, what, what on earth does that mean? Now we've got this big word, hallowed. It's easy, the only time we ever use the word hallowed, you know when it is? October 31. Halloween. Halloween. Do you know what Halloween means? It means the eve of All Hallows Day, which was in the earlier church, in the medieval church, Hallows Day was All Saints Day. We later called it Reformation Day and other names, but it's hollow means holy. Holy is your name, or hallow. It's H-A, not H-O like hollow. It's hallowed. It'd be your name. We get the word halo from this. I'm not big into halos. I certainly can't wear a halo. Christ is the only one who can wear the halo in God because he's holy. So he says here, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And then he goes and makes a couple of petitions. Jesus, a prayer is a petition. I mean, you are actually asking something. You're praising, but there is some asking going on. And he starts out with this. Your kingdom come. The petition, your kingdom come. Can I tell you, this would be a great prayer right now. Your kingdom come. What is he saying about that? Your kingdom come is not that we want heaven on earth, 
You know, people go, oh, let's just make it heaven on earth. That's not the key. Your kingdom come is that we want people to become believers. They will become a part of his kingdom. There'll be more people in the kingdom when more people are believers, and his kingdom is here more. If there is one believer, it's a small kingdom. If there's 10 believers, it's a little larger kingdom. If there's a million believers, it's even a larger kingdom. If there's a billion believers, it's even a larger kingdom. Do you know? You and I, we pray that his kingdom will come, which means I got to do something about it. Because Jesus said later on that you and I are a part of building his kingdom. Peter was, the disciples were, go and tell, go and teach, go and baptize, go and disciple, go and make, right? That's you and me. What are we making? We're making people who follow Christ and become a part of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's a beautiful picture here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The yielding that Elizabeth spoke about, the why, it's the P-R-A-Y is not in order here. It kind of goes back and forth because Jesus wasn't speaking in English anyway. It was Aramaic or Hebrew whichever one, what he's saying here is yield. Your will be done, Lord. That is a very difficult prayer, isn't it? God, this is what I want, but after all I want, it's your will that I really want. Because when God does his will, things will happen that we have no idea will happen. Have you ever done something where you've wanted to do something, God does something else, and what God did was better than what you wanted? I hope so, because if you haven't, you've missed some great opportunities, or maybe you're so holy that you only know how to pray God's things. I'm not that good yet. So sometimes I still pray for what I want. God doesn't give me what I want. He gives me what he wants. Now, it's interesting. The other day, I was studying for a future talk, and I was reading um, some workbook. A guy gave me a workbook. He sent me the link to a workbook. And so usually I'm reading other things, but it was a workbook. And I'm reading through it. And it had a lot of things in it. There were some great quotes in it. And it was, it's for a talk I'll give in about a month or so. And in it was a, a quote from a lady. And I didn't know who it was at that point in time. I'm reading the quote. And at the end, it, it, because it was a workbook, I turned the page. And there's, they have a little picture, you know, one of those small pictures with her name underneath it and what she does. And it was a lady that used to go to this church when she was 25 years old. Here in this church, I can't tell you who it was because I don't remember, someone led her to the Lord and her husband, newlyweds, to the Lord. We ended up living across the street from them and so Elizabeth and I had the privilege of discipling them and then they got into a, a young marriage group and, got, and they're growing, growing, growing and then like things happen, they move away. Haven't seen them in 10 years. And then I see this in a workbook. And I realize that God's will was done in this couple's life. Elizabeth and I prayed for them, what was it, 20-some years ago when we were all a lot younger. And we were mentoring, coaching, discipling, whatever word you want to use, this young couple. And then God takes them far bigger. And now I'm learning from her, you know, be careful how you treat your interns someday, you'll work for them, that kind of thing. It's like, isn't it a beautiful picture, though, that I'm learning 
from a lady who was 20, young, 22, 24, 5 years old, came to Christ. She just keeps growing, 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 growing. She writes some things, and I'm learning from it. You see, these th- it's God's will that does all this, not my will. It's just a beautiful thing. When they left, we lost them. We thought we lost them. No, God takes them. They move on. They grow. It's beautiful. On earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11 now turns a corner. So we've gone from our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my will be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now he goes into praying for ourselves. And it is okay to pray for yourselves. Some people struggle with praying for themselves. God allows us to pray for ourselves. And we'll even get to this later on in the sermon. But what does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. What a beautiful picture. It's a present prayer. We need sustenance. We need things today. And it is okay to pray for those things today. Pray in God's will. Pray in God's name. Pray understanding who he is. Praising him. And then also Asking him for what you need. Many of us pray for way too much more than we need, but just pray for what you need. You know, it's interesting. It's a prayer for today. Give us this day our daily bread. I think a part of that is why God wants us to pray constantly, because maybe there's no preservatives in God's bread. Just maybe God is not going to answer, you know, Lord, give me my bread tomorrow and give me my bread the next day. No, he's asking us to pray today. Now, he's not speaking of physical bread. Now, for some, it was physical bread because they were day laborers and they had bread for the day. But I think, and everybody who I read thinks it's your daily sustenance, what you need to live, you and your family need to live. Lord, give it to us today. It's a beautiful thing. I got to tell you, God answers prayers about today. It's, I mean, we can go into, I know you have had prayers answered. I've had prayers answered. And many times we prayed for tomorrow, and that's important to pray for tomorrow and pray for the future. But also, when it comes to your daily needs, pray for that. And let me just say, if God gives you more than your daily needs, there's other verses that talk about generosity, serving, giving, helping the poor, helping the church, helping things. So... For many of us, God gives us more than our daily bread. And when he does, I think he gives us more so that we can give to others. There's a concept in the Bible that God blesses us so we can bless others. And that is here as well. And then, let me turn the page. The next petition is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a prayer about the past. Give us this day our daily bread is a prayer about today. Forgive us our debts is a prayer about the past. You can pray about the past. Now, this is something we've got to be careful with because some people say, I pray for my dead grandmother. And that's serious. I mean, this has been going on for a thousand years in the church. Please understand that your prayer for your dead grandmother doesn't work. Your grandmother who died 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, is set. Whatever is set, it's set. 
You cannot change this concept of purgatory, this concept of moving people in and out of, of uh, condemnation into rejoicing and all this after the fact is really not in the Bible. So please understand when you're praying in the past, you're praying for your sins in the past. Don't be praying for dead people. Now you can pray for their family, you can pray for other people who are living, but it's important. I don't mean to step on toes and maybe you've prayed for the past, you prayed for dead people, but please understand that's not in the Bible praying for that. We need to pray for the living. You spend your time praying for those who are living that they come to Jesus Christ and pray for your sins. Now, when you pray for your sins, you need to forgive. God will forgive you, but also please understand you gotta forgive others. And we'll look at that next week as we get to the, the passage just after this. So what is it about forgiveness? Real simple, I've said it many times, but I'm gonna repeat it because it's one of those things that we need to understand. When you sin, you have sinned against three people, minimum, minimum three people you have sinned against, okay? All sin is against God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you sin, you've got to apologize and ask forgiveness to God. You have also sinned against yourself. All sin is against the person. Can I tell you when you're angry, you're sinning against yourself? When you're proud, you're sinning against yourself? When you commit uh, alcoholism or other addictions, it's a sin against yourself. It might be against your body, against your spirit, against your soul, against whatever, but it's a sin against yourself. Sometimes those are the hardest to forgive. You've got to forgive yourself. And then most sins, if not all sins, are sins against someone else. Now, every once in a while, a sin is not a sin against someone else. If I'm angry at you, most likely you would know that I'm angry at you, but I might be angry at someone else. I might be angry at the president. He'll never know I'm angry at him, so I don't need to apologize to him. I need to apologize to God and to myself, but probably my anger has spilled out on other people. Even though my anger might be to those people over there, you are near me, you're my friends, you have seen it. I need to apologize to you because I've been an angry, spirited person. Do you see that? So there needs, to be, there needs to be forgiveness, there needs to be confession. Now the problem comes on the forgiveness side. You have to forgive. But what happens if the person that sinned against you is gone? Or what happens if the person doesn't forgive you? Can I just say, there's nothing you can do about that. But you have to clean up your side of the street. Can I just tell you, you've got to clean up your side of the street. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you've got to do it. And here's the thing, God will always forgive you. Now, there is justice attached to this as well as mercy. So if you have sinned and there is things that need to be done, don't think that those will all be forgiven. If I steal $100 from you, you can forgive me, but I still owe you the $100. If I steal from the bank or I, or I do whatever, I've still got, there's retribution and then there's beyond retribution. I mean, I've got to pay back plus more, right? There is justice that occurs. So some of the sin could be as simple as, I'm sorry I was mad yesterday. I got a little angry. I apologize. Done, finished, over with. Some other sins are much deeper. If you committed some abuse, you committed emotional abuse, God forbid, physical abuse, whatever it may be, there's some things that have to be done to make it right. And please do it. It'll be better for the person, better for you. 
And then finally, on forgiveness, please understand this, that if a person has done something against you and will not apologize to you, you still have to forgive them because it's about you. They'll still be miserable. They'll still have their own life. They'll still do whatever, but you have to have forgiveness. And then also, there may be someone who is dead who infracted a sin against you, and they'll never apologize to you. They're gone. You may have had a father, an uncle, a brother who did something heinous to you, and they're gone. They're dead. They're gone. You still have to deal in the the area of forgiveness. And let me tell you, if you struggle with that, and I know there is a struggle with this, come up afterwards. Let's begin some prayer right here. And if you need professional help or you need other help, you need some people to walk with you, we will either do it with you or get people who can do it with you because these are long-term issues. It's easy if I'm just say something stupid and apologize. That's easy. But there's long-term sin and forgiveness that's needed. Does that make sense? I need you to shake your head on this one because, and don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be embarrassed. I remember when, you know, I always talk about marriage counseling. Uh, Years ago, I was counseling a couple, and they had a problem, and it was a very small problem. I didn't know anything about it. They come to me. They said, we want a divorce. I said, what's the problem? They told me the problem. The problem was so small, we could have solved it in 10 minutes. But I said, when did the problem occur? And they both told me the exact day it occurred, 11 years before. (laughs) 11 years before. 11 years of hatred. Well, it didn't start as hatred, just start as he doesn't love me. You know, he's, she's unconsidered. All these little sins just build into big sins. Let's deal with them when they're little. Let's get with them quickly and let's deal with them. Had they done that, it would have been forgotten and they would have moved on if they dealt with it that day or that week. But instead they deal with it 11 years later when they're at odds with each other. Now let's keep going. This is so cool. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of the translations say from the evil one, from evil. Here's the point. This is the future. Give us this day our daily bread is today. And forgive us our debts. That's the past. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the future. Here's the key to this prayer. This prayer, you can pray for the present, the past, and the future. Some days you might only pray for the present. Some days you might pray only for the past. Some days you might pray only for the future. But you can pray for all three. And Elizabeth's little uh, acronym that Cameron did first for us all when we were in Israel was praise. What's the second one? Repent. The third one? Ask. The fourth one, yield. Put it inside of the Lord's Prayer and you can see how well it works. Now, it's interesting here, some of our translations that we grew up with, like the King James, ends with a doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But if you're reading the ESV in front of you or in your others, it's not there, is it? Why is it not there? Because... Some added it in the manuscripts. So in the early church, most prayers ended in the time of Paul, in the time of Peter, in the time of the epistles, with an ending. 
with going back and praising God again. Praise God at the beginning, praise God at the end. Jesus didn't do that. There's nothing wrong with saying, and thine is the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. In fact, we're gonna close our service with that, with a doxology, because I think it's very important to bookend praise to God in your prayers. Because I think at that point then, you realize that God is important throughout the whole thing. So you're praying it. Now, here's what I'd like to do. Bible says don't do repetitious prayers and vain prayers. This is a great prayer, isn't it? So we're going to repeat it together. Can we do that? A lot of people do that. I go to a lot of places, prayer meetings and things where they do it every service. And a lot of services do that, and I love it. We don't here, but today we are going to do it. If you learned it in another translation, we're going to do it in the English Standard Version, which is the one that's in front of you or the one I'm reading, and then... While we're doing that, I'm going to ask the, um, the team to come up, and then when we're done, I'm going to close in prayer, and then they're going to, we're all going to sing a doxology together. So we're going to close our prayer in song. Can we do it? So we're going to, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to speak the prayer. The team's going to be here. I'm letting them have time to come on up. Don't worry. Come on. Just be in front of everybody. Come on out, everybody, team. And then... We're going to sing a doxology and close this prayer together. Can we do that? So while they're coming up, look at me. Don't look at them. You know what they look like, right? They're all there. Yes, that's them. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That is a prayer that you need to do first. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, this prayer is good, it's important, but it's not the prayer you need. When you pray to the Father, you need to pray a prayer of salvation. You need to pray a prayer of belief. You need to just pray and let's bow our heads.